On today's Hunt Harvest Health podcast, Ryan's in the backcountry on his late season mule deer hunt in my home state of Montana. So I'm here alone and I thought, who would I like to interview? Well, that was easy. Today I talk with one of my best friends, Dr. Jillian Tita. She is the author of Natural Solutions for Digestive Health, creator of FixYourDigestion.com, and a wealth of knowledge on all things digestion. She's also a foodie, a gardener, and an urban homesteader, and makes the best gluten-free goodies. So who hasn't been affected by some sort of digestive complaint in their life? Digestion is a foundational piece of good health, and when it's not good, our entire life is affected. Today we touch on the topics of protein, acid reflux, and how stress affects our digestive system. She gives some seriously good tips on improving many aspects of your life through your gut, and no doubt you can go out and implement them right now. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Hillary Lampers, your host today. Uh, Brian is on his last backcountry trip of the season in Montana, and so I'll be doing this podcast alone today. <laughs> One of our goals in starting the Hunt Health Hunt Harvest Health Podcast was to incorporate topics about healthy living. And because I'm a physician and I feel that um, natural health care as well as science are so important in our daily lives, I wanted to bring on a guest who I think a lot of us, when we hear her talk about her topic, I think a lot of us are going to relate to um, what she's talking about. So I'm super excited to introduce to you Dr. Jillian Tita. She is a naturopathic physician and the creator of the Fix Your Digestion Gut Restoration Program, an online do-it-yourself comprehensive program that can be used by anyone with digestive distress or digestive disorders. Are there any of those of you out there? I think so. Hi, Dr. Jillian. Hey, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited as well. When Ryan and I were thinking of people that we wanted to talk to, you were definitely on top of our list. Uh, just for um, for everybody, Jillian is a colleague of mine from medical school. I went to school with her, and we, over the years, have become great friends. She is a powerhouse in uh, digestive knowledge. She's really specialized in her practice. And she's created a thriving online business that's helping people all around the world to improve their digestive health. So, um, Jillian, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself, where you come from, uh, your interests, and why you got into digestive health? Sure. So I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where I went to college and I got my master's degree at Boston University as well. Then I went to Bastyr, where I met you, my lovely friend. <laughs> and in 2007, I started my clinical practice here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with my husband and my brother-in-law. And it was really interesting to me because I actually wasn't planning on starting out in digestion. But what ended up happening is that this is who showed up to me. So I started noticing that everybody that I was talking to were having all, a wide variety of digestive complaints, whether it was mm -hmm. acid reflux or they couldn't poop or they were, you know, feeling bloated all the time. And so I began to use our good sort of integrative naturopathic medical principles to begin to help these folks. 
Well, one thing sort of led to another. I started getting wonderful results with people. I started getting a lot of referrals, a lot of word of mouth. I started venturing into the online space. And then I ended up with a book deal in 2014 and was able to write the book, Natural Solutions for Digestive Health. Then... I continued with my message online, and from that, have just sort of grown this wonderful community and blog where I aim to offer free information to folks with digestive distress in order really to help us poop better. Like, that's really what it's all about. <laughs> it is. It's like it's a very important piece of a daily activity, right, and feeling healthy, and we don't really talk about it much, but it's... Uh... It's vital for life, you know. You gotta it poop. is. You got to poop, and you got to poop well. <laughs> it is, and I think I think it's really important to have folks understand that you know people, you know, digestion is not like the most glamorous subject to talk about. Like we're not going to be talking about poops at a cocktail party. However, digestion <laughs> is extremely important because there is literally not any system or cell in the body that our digestive system is not interacting with every single day. Mm -hmm. So not only is our, is the, is our gastrointestinal system, the avenue through which we break down and absorb our nutrition, it also plays a role in detoxification. You know, we have two of the big five organs of detoxification in our gastrointestinal tract. It plays an enormous role in defense housing the vast majority of the immune system and also, you know, the, the mighty stomach with its stomach acid is a major route of defense. It has enormous impact in our endocrinological or our hormonal health, where many hormones are sort of built and recycled and uh, detoxified through the gastrointestinal system. And then it even plays roles in our psychological systems, our neurological systems, and all of these things. So it underpins everything everything. And so for that reason, I say that good digestion is like a foundational aspect of health. Yeah, well, we're going to touch on some of those topics you just talked about. I know there may be a lot of big words there, but uh, digestion does affect every system in the body. And so we're going to definitely get into that. First, I wanted to ask you, like, so do you have any specific digestive history or uh, anything that you feel is relevant to helping people listening to this podcast understand understand maybe where you're coming from with digestion and maybe not just seeing patients in that, but can you give us some background on that? Well, interestingly enough, my digestive system works wonderfully. I am extremely lucky to have no gastrointestinal complaints. Mm -hmm. However, I certainly am no stranger to pain or physical suffering. And so from that perspective, I feel like it can really help people connect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing, the other reason why I feel so strongly about helping people with digestive distress is not only because it helps support health, but also because we spend more money on pharmaceutical and over-the-counter digestive aids. So acid blockers, mm -hmm. laxatives, these drugs are like in the top like three to five drugs prescribed in the entire United States. And they're often prescribed sort of without impunity, like just for decades and decades and decades. And that mm -hmm. fundamentally is not helpful. Mm -hmm. That can create other issues that we might not really want the consequence from. And then we're just spending all of this money when really we could be taking concrete strategies to help ourselves like today and right now. And so that's really 
that's really like my mission and where I'm coming from is helping relieve this physical distress so that people can pursue the mental and emotional things in their life, like the things that kind of fill their cup, you know? Right. Like being in nature, like going on these backcountry hunting trips. You know, there are folks that I work with that have inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome that literally cannot leave their houses. Right. They cannot leave their houses. They cannot go anywhere where there's not like a bathroom because they don't know what their gut's going to do. And to me, that's heartbreaking. To yeah, me, that's it's heartbreaking. hard to watch that. I've had some patients like that as well. And uh, yeah, it's definitely difficult. It's obviously hard to see people in pain, but to know that you can't leave your house, that's, that's rough. Um, so you had mentioned a few disorders. Let's kind of get into some of those. Uh, I think the big one, I see tons of this. There's, there's two main pharmaceuticals that I see my patients on if they're coming in and they have digestive disturbance. One is an acid blocker or the purple Mm -hmm. pill. Some people refer to that. And the second is antidepressants. And Mm -hmm. so what I want to talk about a little bit is can you address like acid reflux and heartburn? And then on the flip side, can you address depression and how that's affecting how your digestion affects it. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the deal with acid blockers. Originally, these drugs were approved by the FDA for no longer than nine months of use, right? Just Mm -hmm. nine months. That was all they were supposed to be used for. You know as well as I do, as well as probably many of the folks listening today, that many, many people are on these things for years and decades. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's the problem with that? Well, there actually are a couple problems with that. The first problem is that being an acid blocker, let's just think about what this means. These drugs are suppressing acid function. We have been taught that heartburn is a result of excess or too much acid. And so the remedy then is to suppress all of the acid that we have. Mm -hmm. So very interestingly, there is a new study that came out that said that acid reflux is not caused by excess acid, but by inflammation essentially in the gastrointestinal Mm -hmm. tract. So what happens when we turn off acid? What happens is that we're no longer making acid and we reduce or we dampen what I call digestive fire. Digestive fire, in my thinking, is the body's ability to break down protein, carbohydrates, and fats into their constituent building blocks of amino acids, starches, and fatty acids. These are the things that get absorbed. And it does that. It breaks them down via stomach acid, via digestive enzymes and bile. And so if you are turning off that acid production, you are essentially dampening protein digestion. Another thing that you are doing, well, two other things that you're doing. One, when you're suppressing acid, you are also removing a major defense for the body. Our stomach acid kills all the little buggers that we're consuming either, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. It's very, very difficult to survive the low pH of the stomach acid environment. And so, you know, nature's wisdom creates a sort of one-stop shop for defense right there. So as a result, folks that have been on these drugs for a long time actually have increased risk for certain types of infections. Okay. And that's a problem. And then the third piece, Hillary, is that what happens with our physiology, as you're aware, some nutrients require 
acid to be absorbed. So if we're turning off acid, we are also blunting the very important absorption of calcium and iron and folate. We're also blunting the absorption of B12 because B12 is absorbed with something called intrinsic factor. And I know I'm getting into a little bit of biochemistry here, but intrinsic factor is made from the same cells that your stomach acid is made from. And when you turn that off, you turn off intrinsic factor and you turn off B12 absorption. So then long-term consequences of these are things like anemia, osteopenia, and then weird generalized symptoms like weird fatigue and brain fog and muscle and joint pain all because we are suppressing this acid, mm. right? So again, it's great to, these drugs have a place. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, mm -hmm. get off your drugs and cold turkey because they, they do have to be tapered down and there's a process for that. However, I want to just paint a picture that these drugs, even though they're prescribed like candy, they're not innocuous. You know, they have real side effects and we need to take that in context with the rest of the lifestyle to begin to help folks off of them. So again, for short term to break the cycle, they're phenomenal as a long-term management strategy. They are woefully inadequate and potentially harmful. Well, I notice in my patients who are on it, you know, there's a lot of fear put also. So I notice traditionally an MD will prescribe maybe for two to four weeks because someone's having an acute flare up. Yep. They, they say, take this for two to four weeks. It'll decrease your stomach acid and then stop. But when most people stop, they can have a resurgence of this pain, and so they just keep taking it. And there's no, like you said, there's nobody policing that, and they just keep refilling. You know, you can get that over the counter now. So there yep. is no, it used to be prescription was required. There's no longer, you can go to Costco and buy a crate of it if you want. <laughs> and that's what people are doing now. So um, as far as like, uh, you know, eating a high protein diet, Mm -hmm. And if you have, if you are taking these acid blockers, it sounds to me like you're, you're likely going to be having some amino acid deficiencies because you're not breaking your protein down. And remember protein comes, well, as, as people listening to this podcast, you know, you talk about your healthy meat and your healthy proteins. Well, you still need stomach acid to break those healthy proteins down. And so, um, can you talk a little bit about that, a, a little bit more about proteins and when we break it down, how that affects other parts of the body as well? Yeah. So when we're talking about protein digestion, the, the, the stomach acid helps cleave up the big proteins so that other enzymes can sort of be activated and go to work on them. Some stomach enzymes and some small intestine enzymes are only activated in the presence of adequate stomach acid. So if we don't have enough because we're taking drugs to suppress it, we are essentially turning off protein digestion, which means these protein molecules can be, they, be, they are essentially unbroken. So not only are we not absorbing the nutrition that they are conferring to us, mm -hmm. we are also creating a scenario where the immune system could over time become provoked because our small intestine likes everything in teeny tiny particles. Our intestine, our small intestine wants those amino acids. It doesn't want big undigested, undigested protein chunks, right? Mm -hmm. So we can have more stimulation of the immune system, which can create a low grade or a greater than normal inflammation uh, scenario in the small and large intestines. These large unbroken uh, molecules can then feed our gut flora and 
feed flora that maybe don't have the best consequences for our health, which then in turn can create dysbiosis, which mm-hmm. is just an imbalance in our good guys and our good guys in our gut. We have this big, huge colony of healthy, beneficial bacteria in our gut. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're feeding the wrong guys, which then can create more inflammation, which then can create further malabsorption and nutrient deficiency. So it becomes this like really vicious cycle that feeds on itself, like a dragon eat its, eating its tail or like a snake eating its tail. Right. And it's very difficult to break that cycle until we actually can help ourselves get off of these drugs, improve our digestive fire, help the lining of our small intestines, address the health of the gut flora, and then balance uh, the the second brain. And we haven't discussed this yet, but Mm -hmm. the second brain also has a huge role in acid reflux. Well, we maybe should touch on that a little bit, especially uh, when I brought up earlier depression and mm-hmm, antidepressants mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. one of the more common drugs I see patients on as well and how that yeah. how that's correlated to the second brain. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So some background for your listeners, the second brain is this enormous network of nerves that starts at the base of our esophagus, which is called the lower esophageal sphincter, which is the the scene of the crime for heartburn. And it goes, this network goes all the way down, all the way through our gastrointestinal tract, all the way to our anus. It has the same amount of nerve cells as the spinal cord. It is second Mm -hmm. only to the brain in our head. So for this reason, we call it the second brain. It monitors and manages and regulates and is aware of every aspect of digestion on a second-to-second basis. So what it's doing is it's assessing, all right, what is the pressure of the small intestine? How much liquid is in there? How much food is in there? Do I have any food in there? What is that lower esophageal sphincter doing? Is it open? Is it closed? It helps manage the rhythm or the movement of the gut. So our gut actually is always moving because it has to push the food down, right? Mm -hmm. So it helps manage that as well. So our lower esophageal sphincter, which is that trap door at the bottom of the esophagus that connects the esophagus to the stomach. And if we don't have good second brain function and we're on a ton of acid blockers, what happens is that trap door becomes open when it shouldn't be. And when that trap door is open when it shouldn't be, that creates an avenue through which acid and and stomach contents can like regurge back up into the esophagus and we have those sort of nasty heartburny consequences. Now, a little bit more on the second brain. I talked about how that second brain is responsible for the mobility of the gut. There is a hormone, a neurotransmitter that I'm sure everybody's heard of called serotonin. And serotonin actually helps start that wave, that rhythmical muscular contraction that helps propel food down and out, okay? So guess where the vast majority of serotonin is made? It's made in the gut. We're taught that it's more of like a brain issue, that it's a neurological thing, when truly the lion's share of serotonin and also many other neurotransmitters are made in the gut, and also the receptor the receptors for these guys are also in the gut. So when we are taking certain antidepressants that are working on that are working on these these pathways of neurotransmitters, we absolutely can have reverberations in the gut. And interestingly enough, 
Antidepressants are often used in folks that have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, because we know that irritable bowel syndrome and other what we call functional disorders, which really is like there's no pathology to be found, but symptoms are there, that these disorders have a very strong second brain component. Mm -hmm. And so you'll actually see certain antidepressants help and be beneficial for gut distress. Now, you and I know there's lots that we can do to support these neurotransmitter pathways without using drugs. So that gives people hope too. Right. I, I think, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the most common things I see in, um, well, I mean, probably the old school thought was, you know, meat and potatoes. Like I eat my meat and potatoes <laughs> and my corn and my, you know, think of like a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, how much <laughs> besides maybe collard greens or something people are having or green beans, which are starch, are they having at a meal? And, uh, you know, the meat and potatoes idea is uh, what is the relationship of if you're eating a lot of protein or you're eating a lot of starches, but you're not getting enough vegetables, other types of vegetables or fibers in your diet. How does that play into this as well? And that's a that's a great question. What I would say to that is that when you're not feeding the gut flora enough fibers, enough wide variety of fibers, you are creating a gut flora that is not diverse. That is not that does not have many 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 different types of strains of gut flora. Mm-hmm. You know, in diversity like in any ecological or system, diversity is that key against ruin. And so if we're just eating meat and potatoes, what's going to happen is our gut flora is going to be sort of selected for digestion of only those things. Mm -hmm. Then we can very easily run into problems with the signaling of the second brain. We can get slowed down, we can speed up, we can kind of oscillate between the two. So if you're going to, and it's interesting because there's actually some studies on white potatoes that white potatoes can help improve microbial diversity. So, you know, the truth is it really is figuring out what works for the individual. Right. If there is, if there is distress and the diet is not highly varied, then we certainly want to add some variety into that for sure. Now, what about like, uh, I, I know there's, everybody's kind of doing this now, even in this backcountry hunters and stuff, you know, there's supplements. Everybody is taking protein powders, mm-hmm. protein drinks, protein yep. bars. Yep. Uh, and I know that a lot of those, it's not, you're not actually eating protein. You're eating uh, broken down amino acids. They've, they've um, isolated the amino acids from like, let's say whey or um, what is whey? What else? Yeah. Any or type like of rice milk protein, protein or hemp or yeah, whatever. Like yeah, like even yeah. the vegetable proteins, they're isolating yep. those. How is that different per se? If you have acid reflux and stuff, should you just keep taking your purple pill and then drink your protein shake? <laughs> right? I'm like, actually, are you getting no. amino acids and you don't have to worry about, about your stomach acid? I think that well, a lot of people do that as well, right? Well, so that's only looking at one tiny piece of the problem because you're not, you're, while they may be easier to uptake, you know, those amino acids will be easier for your body to absorb, you are still missing the entire component of defense 
and you are still missing the entire component of nutrient absorption that are non-amino acid based. Mm -hmm. So, right, like the like the B12 and the B6 and the folate and the iron and the calcium. So those things in the absence of stomach acid are difficult to are difficult to absorb. Now, I don't have I mean, I have to, you know my history as a, a professional figure competitor, so you know that I know right. that all of those things like the bars and the shakes, those have their place, especially when folks are out in the backcountry hunt, you know, hunting, convenience sort of is going to uh, trump all of these other types of things. Like, oh, goodness, like no one's going to be bringing their like, you know, poached salmon and like steamed kale to <laughs> like the backcountry. Like Ryan, you know, he makes chili for like three days and spaghetti sauce and then he dehydrates, yeah, and then dehydrates and it, right? it yeah. back and he, he just started doing that, folks. He hasn't been doing that for 20 years. But yeah, maybe not everybody does that. But it is interesting. So you know, there are ways around certain things. But when we really get down to it, we we really want to be as unmedicated as possible, mm-hmm. or at least on the lowest doses of these medications as possible, just because of the wide breadth of side effects and other consequences that we might not have been fully explained. We might not have looked them up and we might not like them very much when they show up. Right. I, I would think... mu- go ahead. I would much rather, you know, help somebody taper off of their acid blocker than I would try to bring them back from osteopenia, which is right. the thinning, which is the thinning of bone density, right? So we want those good, strong, healthy bones. Yeah, and for the ladies who are listening, acid blockers and and women take acid blockers as much as men do from oh, my sure. experience it's, oh, yeah. it's not a it's not a sexist thing here right this is like Mm-mm. this is fun for everybody but, <laughs> um, what i see and especially my female patients is they're really concerned their hair is falling out their hair mm-hmm. is thinning their hair is getting coarse their skin is rough their nails aren't growing the same um, their eyes aren't working as well. All these, and of course, brain fog and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, do you think that the acid blocker could be causing all this? Well, the breakdown products of protein are amino acids. Mm-hmm. And amino acids are essential for your hair, your nails, your thyroid, mm-hmm. your energy, your eyes, mm-hmm. all these things that are built in our skin and our hair and stuff. Those are all amino acid based. So you have to uh, look at that as well when people are coming to you with some symptoms and then you find out they're on an acid blocker. Um, I've also found it's the hardest drug to get people off of. I don't know if you have that experience as well. I think that there's also fear. There's a lot of fear of people that if you don't take it, you're going to get esophageal cancer. So that's one of these, or Barrett's esophagus or some of these other conditions where the acid has eroded the bottom of the esophagus. And so people are kind of told that and they, they believe that. And at the same time, yeah, there's cases of it for sure. But then there's also fear of that pain because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. So I find it's a really hard medication to get people off of. Yes. Um, very hard. You have to. It it certainly can be. That's for sure. And I do, I agree with you that there is this sort of like blanket fear that is injected into everybody that takes acid blockers. And I think it's very irresponsible that this fear is injected because one, the actual likelihood of getting esophageal cancer from like an uncomplicated slash straightforward heartburn case is extremely, extremely, extremely low Mm -hmm. and not worth the risks of long-term acid blocker supplementation. Now, Barrett's esophagus is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, 
However, Barrett's esophagus is not representative of the normal heartburn patient. Um, so how I get these folks off of these drugs is essentially by using those gut restoration principles, right? So first things first is we find and eliminate any problematic foods that could mm. be contributing, right? So we have like kind of the classic list for heartburn. And a lot of folks will come in and they'll be like, oh, I know that whenever I eat whatever, like pizza, that I have a problem with that. So for the time that we're getting these folks off of these drugs, we're definitely having a hard look at foods that could be problematic. So that's the first piece. The second piece, and this is even before we start tapering, by the way, the second piece is to start supplementing with digestive enzymes and bile support and sometimes even stomach acid to help restoke that digestive fire. Next, we focus on the gut flora, maybe with some fermented foods or some probiotics to help decrease inflammation in the small intestine. And, well, and not only that, but just to promote microbial diversity and all of those things that we were talking about a minute ago. Next, we talk about um, healing the lining of the gastrointestinal tract top to bottom. And there's a lot of nutrients that do that. I really like glutamine. I like zinc carnosine. And then there's a whole lot of like herbal blends and complexes for digestive or gastrointestinal healing. So I mm -hmm. do all of that and we get that in place first. Then we start a very slow taper where I'm usually reducing the dose by about 25% or I have folks skip like one dose per week. And when we begin this taper, we can add in other things like slippery herbs, even Tums, and something that I like to use, I don't know if you use them, Hill, but I use sodium alginates a lot, which are like mm. these little sort of microorganisms that you swallow them. They're in a capsule, but when they hit the contents of the stomach, they like form this like jelly like raft that like lift goes to the top of the stomach and sits right against that trap door so that you're not, you're creating a physical barrier for reflux and acid to go in. And, right. you know, using that approach by very slowly tapering over months. When you go a little bit slower, you have much better success and you get less of a rebound. And I always, always, always coach people up and tell them, look, you, you, we are going to anticipate that there's going to be some rebound. And then I give them guidelines. Like, this is when I want you to call me. This is how long we're going to tolerate it for. These are like the little backups that we're going to have to get you through. So as long as the process is like thoroughly explained and they understand the rationale and they understand what can come up. Folks are very compliant because a lot of folks come to me because they have heard about all these side effects and they come in, they're like frantic because they've been on them for 16 years and now they have osteopenia. So, mm -hmm. so there is, a, they are tricky, but there is, there, there are ways to get them off. Mm -hmm. And I find that comprehensive slow take is the best. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think too, that the, conventional medical establishment, even though they're trying to, you know, a lot of people are going for an acute issue, they're trying to decrease that. Um, they're, they're not really addressing per se, the person's digestion. Um, and that's, that's causing kind of a cascade of events. And then the patient maybe doesn't know how to where to even start to get themselves off of it, because they're, they're, their doctor just doesn't have the time to spend with them. And again, giving naturopathic medicine a plug here, you know, um, if you live in a state or you, you know, wherever you're at, if you can find a naturopathic physician, this is the kind of work that, 
like Dr. Jillian or I are going to be doing to help you help you change not just getting off the drug, but changing your your diet and actually improving your digestion absorption. So super, super awesome information. Um, you had mentioned a few supplements uh, like the glutamine and mm -hmm. uh, the zinc carnosine. Do you have any other, like if you were, like let's say somebody doesn't have acid reflux per se, but do you have like three top digestive supplements that you like the most, like you would give to everybody? Well, if some, here's the thing. If someone has like great healthy digestion, I actually don't think that they need a whole lot of digestive support. I would say in terms of supplementation, so maybe probiotics, but if folks are willing to eat fermented foods, like, mm -hmm. um, this morning I made some wonderful kombucha. So I did the whole Insta story this morning. It was kind of fun. <laughs> I know. Um, not as fun as Snapchat, but it's all right. Um, mm -hmm. So I really like fermented foods. So we've got kombucha, we've got kimchi, sauerkraut, um, you know, tempeh, even like cured meats actually are, have a little bit of fermentation, black olives, those types of things. Um, and then in terms of maybe a little bit more generalized, if folks are prone to like feeling like gassy and bloated or kind of like overly full after meals, a digestive enzyme could be very beneficial because right. uh, that helps, again, increase digestive fire and helps break everything down. But you also just want to have a look at like, all right, what are there certain foods that are making you gassy or is everything giving you this heavy feeling? So if everything's giving you that heavy feeling, then it does make me think more about digestive fire or potentially dysbiosis, right? That imbalance of our good flora but if it's certain things like, oh, gosh, every time I eat pasta or like have toast or pancakes, you know, I just feel, you know, I feel like I could go to sleep or I get heart palpitations or I feel like there's a brick sitting in my stomach. That's a strong sign that there could be a, a food sensitivity going on. Yeah. And probably what, what, what would be your biggest, I mean, obviously the food sensitivity panel is huge that you can test people for. And sometimes I have patients come back like they're not allergic to gluten, but they're allergic to ginger like yeah how much it's ginger funny. are you eating and they're like none <laughs> I, I don't eat any ginger and I say okay well that's weird but I also yeah. think food allergies um especially because a lot of people they probably come to you and they're like okay I want you to run a food allergy panel on mm -hmm. me I want you to yeah. tell me what I'm allergic to so that I can only cut out the things that yeah. I'm allergic to because Food is like, obviously, it's like pooping every day. You have to eat every day. I know, you have to eat it. You don't have to eat every day, but that's something we do every day. We eat. And so people are attached to their food, right? Absolutely. They are just so attached to their food. And sometimes there are certain times when you need to cut things out. And so mm -hmm. everyone wants a food allergy panel. Yeah. Um, and what do you think about that? What do you feel is the most effective way to address possible food allergies? So it's funny because I actually don't run a whole lot of food allergy panels myself. A lot of people will come in having them already done um, and we work with that. So the data on the IgG food testing is very, very mixed. It's, it's not consistent. So I don't rely on that as a diagnostic tool. What I am looking for, though, I'm looking for one of three things. I'm looking for either one or two things to come back really strongly, like really positive, really high. I'm looking for a bunch, you know, like five, six plus 
to come back kind of medium to moderate, or I'm looking for a combination of the two. If something, if a panel comes back and there are like 12 things lit up, you don't have 12 food sensitivities. There's an issue between the interface of your food and your immune system, which is that lining of the small intestine. So I use these as a rough guide to guide an elimination diet and also for gut restoration. So whenever folks are coming in to me, I am getting them on some type of gut restorative process, which includes those steps, right? The, the food sensitivity piece, the digestive fire, the gut flora, the healing of the lining, and then the balancing of the second brain. So I use an elimination diet mostly for food sensitivity because this, along with those gut restoration procedures, because what this does is through gut restoration plus an elimination diet, you essentially are improving digestive function. You are creating a clean slate from now which to test upon to see what foods do what to your body. So after you've given your body a break from these foods, you will actually know what you can tolerate and what you can't when you bring them back in strategically one at a time and give yourself time to assess. So does this take a little bit longer? It does, but the data it gives us is pure gold because sometimes we're sensitive to food because we're really sensitive. Like maybe we have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, but maybe we're sensitive to a food. Maybe food is causing issue because we're not breaking it down well, or because Mm -hmm. we have an infection in our flora, or because we have leaky gut and we're so inflamed that our body is just attacking everything. So you want, and that's very subtle. And so you want to be able to really tease out those avenues and see what's what. And so that's why I use more of that like multifaceted, gut restoration approach. Now, does, does, does this strategy, do you notice this strategy to working for more uh, severe conditions like um, irritable bowel diseases like Crohn's disease or, or ulcerative colitis? Uh, because I know a lot of people that do have Crohn's or you see they're just put on medications sometimes or they're put on fasting diets for a while and then medications. And it's very they start losing severe amount, severe amount of weight because they're mm-hmm. afraid to eat and, and they have yep. a lot of pain and et cetera. Do you find that these protocols can be efficient for those disorders as well? Absolutely. Um, I have a lot, a lot of folks that have a variety of inflammatory bowel disorders and we get really good results. Now, not everyone can come off their medications, but mm-hmm. again, sometimes we can get people on a low dose and sometimes we can get folks off of biologics and onto like an antibiotic probiotic therapy, which is a much lower risk long term than being on a biologic. So with IBD, it is very much about figuring out what diet works for the individual. And it's funny because I have some folks with IBD that can eat something like gluten, which usually is like very difficult and rough on the gut. And then I have some who can't. So yes. So this protocol, this approach I use for virtually every single digestive complaint. Mm -hmm. And I also use this approach with folks with autoimmune disorders Mm -hmm. and also with complex pain syndromes like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, multiple chemical sensitivity, not only through the, the gut piece, but also through that second brain piece. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's touch, let's touch on that a little bit. I, I see a ton of, I live you know, you used to live here too. When we were in med school, Pacific Northwest, it's dark, it's cold, it's <laughs> rainy. Um, and there's a ton of hypothyroid, low thyroid function. At least that's what we we can see on testing. Sometimes we don't even see it on testing, right? 
mm-hmm. but people are having these what we consider low thyroid symptoms. Can you address how how your gut not working well can make your thyroid not work well? Sure. So the vast majority of low thyroid function, about 75 to 80% of it is autoimmune in nature. Uh, it's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Not mm-hmm. all conventional medical doctors will check for Hashimoto's, which which is a simple blood test to look for antibodies against the thyroid. Those are anti-TPO and anti-TG for your listeners who maybe want to take notes and talk to their doctors. So when we have a autoimmune thing going on, there are many steps to take through the gut that help mitigate these sort of like immune provocations and inflammatory reactions. The first, interestingly enough, talking about the food piece is is gluten elimination. The work of Dr. Alessio Fasano, he's at um, Massachusetts General Hospital now, but he actually started out in Maryland at the Celiac Research Center. He's done work essentially linking gluten consumption to autoimmune disorders, not just celiac disease, but all autoimmune disorders. <laughs> because what this does, what gluten does in these folks is this, it unbuttons the lining of the small intestine. It increases a protein called zonulin. And I know that that sounds like a Star Trek character or something, but <laughs> zonulin is another protein that unbuttons what we call the tight junctions of the small intestine. And the tight junction is basically like a button that keeps these cells together. When they're not together, that means that the immune system sort of has carte blanche access to the foods that we're eating. Then it says, hey, you don't belong here. I'm going to create antibody against you. I'm going to call all my friends so they can kick your butt too. And then we have the, we get this feed forward cycle of inflammation and what we call leaky gut again. The fancy term for that is intestinal permeability. And then through a process known as molecular mimicry, our body can make antibody against itself because Hmm. proteins are redundant. So the proteins that we're eating actually aren't that much different from the proteins that are actually found within our own flesh. And autoimmunity is essentially the immune system turned upon itself. So when we go back to the scene of the crime, which is the gut, you can affect enormous benefit on folks that have low thyroid function, especially if they happen to be sort of caught in the throes of what you and I would call the sad diet or the standard American diet Mm -hmm. where they're like eating like, you know, two liters of coffee and like biscuits for, you know, biscuits for breakfast and like a pizza for lunch and, you know, those types of things. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that we can do for thyroid function as it relates to the gut. And it's the same with Graves disease, which is like hyperthyroidism from an autoimmune perspective. Right. Yeah. I think I remember taking immunology it's what our bodies do on like a second by second basis just to fight off all these offenders and <laughs> no, it's how, how important like everything that we put in our body how it affects that and all and then how our body can actually do so many things at once to protect <laughs> us and then at some point it's just like all right I give up like I can't do yep. it anymore and we're talking you can live years and years and years and years of your life and not start having thyroid problems till you're in your 40s and 50s. I mean, we see this, right? Because we're our cells aren't replicating as fast. We can't we can't fight stuff off as soon. And then we see children, you know, we see kids like having immune disorders now. And so that question is always like, you know, how um our food supply, how is that that's so affecting really everything in our life. And I think that we forget that what we put into our body is going to affect our immune system, right? Like 20 years from now, we don't think about that. But I think with the study of genetics and epigenetics, um, 
and nutrigenomics, all these fancy words, basically studying nutrition and genetics, how we can, how in, we're influencing our future generations as well and their gut health, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Hopefully, so. hopefully for the better. Hopefully, hopefully for, the, for better. the better. And that's, that's our, you know, thing with this podcast is, you know, Ryan and I learned a long time ago that, you know, meat is important, obviously hunting for Ryan. That's how we get our meat or fishing. That's how we get our meat. But there has to be a very healthy balance between meat vegetables and then what vegetables are we eating how are those vegetables grown you know just like you're eating clean meat like an elk and then you're coming home and eating non-organic vegetables that have pesticides and stuff all over them that our gut and our immune system are having to fight off so you know we learned we taught ourselves many years ago kind of this well-rounded way of eating now we're not perfect obviously we go out to eat once in a while you know we take our Mm -hmm. kids to pizza or whatever but the majority of the time, we are conscious of that because we do see the ramifications. I mean, our children are really healthy and we're very lucky. But when our older one was younger, she had a milk allergy and you gave her cow's milk and she'd just like explode. Mm. <laughs> um, but now she doesn't have that. We gave her goat milk and she didn't do any cow's dairy when she was little and she did goat and she was totally fine now she's almost eight and she's fine with cow she doesn't have an allergy to cow she drinks she loves milk you know we get the raw milk she loves it um but I think that when you see other people or you even see their children and they're just sick and they're having all these I mean sick is one thing when your kids go to school they get sick oh my gosh you know (laughs) they're building their immunity right they're building themselves up and we're all getting the uh, we we're all older and we don't, we're stressed out and not sleeping as much, so we're not being able to defend it off as well. But um, but then you see some. I see it a lot in children. Other children, you know, they're being fed poor food. They're not just exhibiting maybe skin or eczema or psoriasis or something. I mean, they're like behavioral issues, ADHD, yeah. hyperactivity, anger, violence, aggression. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are again that second brain that and how the gut and the brain are talking to each other. And eating well, we feel, is a philosophy that really can change everything in your life, even the way, like, your brain thinks and your brain works. And so uh, I always say, you know, food is the first medicine you should always go to, right? And I know you agree with that because that's with gut health. It's the key. I think gut health is just like food. It's the foundation. It is. Right? If you're not addressing your gut... Mm-hmm. And you're taking all these meds for these other things, but you're just ignoring your gut. It's, I don't feel that you're going to have success like, like you are if you're addressing your gut and you're treating that as the foundation. Well, it's true because even if you're eating the perfect diet for you, you've got all your food sensitivities figured out. You're eating, or, you know, if you're eating like wild meat, you're eating organic vegetables. But if you don't have the ability to break it down, or right. to absorb it, or if your gut flora is a disaster, you are not going to be able to reap all of the benefits of that excellent nutrition. Right, exactly, exactly. So I know that you love, speaking of food, I know you love gardening and cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're friends, <laughs> and so we talk a lot about recipes, and you are, I stalk, we stalk your Instagram because you've always cooking up new things. <laughs> I know you're mainly gluten-free, that's kind of your preference, um, and but uh, but for you, you know, gardening and cooking, um, 
can you share some ideas or foods that you recommend that everybody kind of have in their kitchen for digestive support? I know you mentioned a few earlier. But yeah. yeah. So I really like, I really, really like fermented foods, mm -hmm. uh, whether you buy them or whether you make them yourself. The other thing that I think is very important to have in terms of gut health and is very um, popular right now in the natural blogosphere is bone broth, right? Oh, yeah. It's like chicken stock or beef stock. So the reason why this is so good for the gut is, one, one it's highly digestible, right? So it ha one, it's highly digestible, and two, it is chock full of all of these vitamins and minerals and collagen builders, which are the scaffolding of our small intestine, our large mm -hmm. intestine. So it helps sort of build up the floor there, mm -hmm. or excuse me, the lining there. And then the next thing that I really, really like to have, we do have to have some type of protein. Protein is the building blocks of life. And if we're not getting enough protein, then we're not building our immune cells, we're not repairing well, we're not recovering well. So I would say some type of delicious, easily accessible, like clean protein, fermented foods, bone broth, and then also spices. There's so many spices that your listeners probably have in their cabinet right now. They're like little, they're little cupboard in their kitchen that have an enormous benefit for digestive health, whether they help reduce gas and bloating, whether they help improve digestive fire, whether they have moderate antimicrobial activity, using spices is another wonderful way. So that's mm. sort of what my kitchen is stocked with. I have a lot of, I have frozen vegetables in my freezer. I have veggie powders. Like I try to keep things that are very convenient because let's face it, when we come home at the end of the day, if we, and we're exhausted and kind of like emotionally tapped out, like we, it's good to have these things on hand it makes it less likely for them us to like dive into the like you know the the bin of Hagen Dazs or to like you know go to like Burger King take like drive through or something. The like, healthy like, potato chips. Like, right, I don't right. Think, I mean, we we dehydrated potatoes. Uh, they don't taste like the healthy. Yeah, it's not the same. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, Ryan's really good at doing jerky, so he'll take you know meat that we're not gonna. You know, obviously, kind of the sides of steaks and stuff that he cuts yep. off when he does his meat, and uh, we he makes jerky and he makes a bunch of it and has it in the fridge, and we kind of chew on chew on the jerky, um, and then dehydrating things like fruits and even some vegetables. Yes. We dehydrated yes. some beets, and those were really good. So we had those sitting around, uh, and. And I think another uh, nutrient I like to talk about to people too is salt. Yeah. Um, can you address salt a little bit? Because I know there's a lot of myths around salt and what kind of salt you like, but I really like a good, uh, you know, like Himalayan or even some of these more exotic salts, because I think, <laughs> I think that we are actually really neglecting electrolytes and salts in our life because we kind of believe they're bad for us. So can you talk on that just a sec about what you like about salt? Yeah. So like, so like saturated fat, salt has re recently sort of been vilified in the, in the medical literature. It's not actually as bad as we thought it was. Mm -hmm. So in terms of hypertension, folks that have high blood pressure, only about 15 to 20% of these people are actually sensitive to salt, meaning that increasing salt intake will, or not increasing or having salt will increase blood pressure. So salt is not evil. Now, you know me, I have kind of like a salty, savory palate. So I love salt and I salt my food. I salt, or I salt my vegetables. I salt my meat. I salt my cooking. 
Sodium chloride are very, very important along with potassium for electrolyte balance. Electrolytes are extremely important for enzymatic uh, regulation and activation. So it helps, it helps us stay moving with our biochemical machinery. It also is extremely important for fluid balance. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that might like be puffy or like holding water or feeling like they're wearing a snowsuit of water, these folks actually need salt. Salt is also very important for our adrenal glands. So I know that like adrenal fatigue is a huge buzzword right now in the natural blogosphere. Um, and we need salt to keep our adrenals healthy. So I'm a big proponent of salt as well. And like you, I, I like, I like Himalayan salt. I like that gray French salt. Mm -hmm. um, what's that called? Salt de mer, something like that. So, yeah. I, you know, I have a bunch of different salts. And then my, um, my sister and brother-in-law came back from their trip to Israel and brought me like this whole spread of different like dead sea right. salts, like all different like herbs uh -huh. and flavors and stuff. So I've been like really experimenting with that, but yeah. Well, you know, there. salt, I mean, salt in the, even like the great salt Lake, you know, salt was traded as a, is, is like money in the old days. It mm -hmm. was a very valuable, uh, it was a very valuable commodity salt was, and it kind of has been throughout history. And so I think that we, forget that we are water and we're also salt and a lot of other <laughs> minerals like that's kind of what we're made up of just like the salt water out in the ocean you know we need that so a healthy salt that's one of my additions that I would add to a, a, a good yeah. kitchen um, and get rid of your iodized salt yeah <laughs> sorry your table salt <laughs> yeah um and if you're eating at McDonald's and there and there's a lot of salt, they're using the bad salt, they're not <laughs> using the good salt. That's why your blood pressure is going up. Yes. So you also need to nix your McDonald's too. Well, yeah, sorry. The, the uh, blood pressure, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's fructose, you know, like it's, yeah, it's these sugar. sugars, and the, so it's these sugars and these sort of like what I call like think of like cheap carbohydrates, like they're just nutritionally cheap. They might taste delicious for four seconds, but not so yeah. good. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so so you have um, you've talked a lot about today. You've talked about it, and I know you've actually created some programs, some online programs, like for de-stressing the gut and stuff. Can you just give us a little bit of info on how all the stress in our lives is affecting our gut? Yeah, and not just food. So we just talked about food, but let's just talk about the daily stress of living in today's society, how it's affecting our gut health. Yes. So that's a great, that's great. What, what we've got going on here is we talked a little bit about that second brain, that huge network of nerves that is equal to the spinal cord that is totally in charge of digestion. What is interesting about this is that this second brain actually operates independently of the central nervous system, which is our brain and spinal cord. And again, in nature's wisdom, it did this because if we were to ever get a spinal cord injury, we wouldn't be able to digest and we would die very quickly. Mm. Also, there's some practicality to it because if all of the nerves required for digestion ran through our spinal cord, our spinal cord would be so thick we wouldn't be able to like bend over and tie our shoe. So <laughs> even though, even though the second brain operates independently of the central nervous system, the two are in a relationship, right? So there is a bimodal two-way feedback between the brain and the spinal cord. And I think people really understand that when you consider 
remember how it feels like when you fall in love or like you get butterflies in your stomach or how a certain thought can make your gut clench. You know, you get bad news. What happens? Oh my God, I feel so sick to my stomach. You so smell a certain smell, right? That yes. And right it takes you the right there. System and you're like, you feel it in your right gut. There. Yes. Right. Yeah. So people can understand this intuitively. What happens with our modern stress is that we do not have a great way societally And I think that folks that actually like to go out in nature and spend time in nature have a much better handle on this. We have no way to decompress from our stress. Mm. It's just constant stress all the time. So our nervous system is divided into kind of two loose branches. We have our rest and digest branch, right? Which is where we are digesting, we're regenerating. And then we also have our fight and flight. And that's stress. That's when we get cut off. That's when, you know, we get cut off or that's when like our bosses are on us or like we're getting in fights with our partner. That's just like time crunching. It's this chronic grinding stress. The two systems are supposed to be like in a dance together, like a, or like a seesaw back and forth, back and forth. This is balance, right? We need the light in the dark, the light in the dark, you know, everything is in balance. When we get chronically stressed, it's as if we have an elephant sitting on one end of that seesaw and a little chihuahua sitting on the other. So we get (laughs) stuck. We get stuck in this like fight or flight mode that over time, this does not happen overnight, that over time via this bimodal feedback between the brain and the second brain begins to influence the second brain for the worse. Given enough time, we'll actually start developing conditions like IBS or heartburn or things like that. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice this, like folks will notice this. Maybe they can relate that when they're in chronic stress, they might stop pooping. Like they might get constipated. They might actually loosen up or speed up and get like a little bit of loose stool or diarrhea. They might have more like indigestion or like belching. They might experience heartburn that they don't no appetite. do. They don't no appetite. Eat. Or they want to eat everything. Right. This is a direct consequence of that. And then if that stress, is not removed from the body and the mind and the heart, you will experience symptoms via the gut. And then that will ripple out into your neurological system where you'll essentially begin to wire yourself for anxiety and depression. You will create a hormonal environment that is primed and wired for stress. And you will sort of suppress your ability to make and excrete hormones. You'll have immune system signaling dysfunction. And you'll be in a more inflamed state. All from just stress. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And I know stress is, so, is like a word that we use so cheaply. Like it's just so overused that we don't actually really understand what, what it is. But mm-hmm. I think when we, when we think about it like that in terms of how our body holds on to it, how it literally rewires our brains and literally impacts our guts that then in turn impact our psychology, our neurological system, our hormonal system, our immune and inflammatory systems that we get a much broader look. And then that walk in the woods, that walk in the back country literally becomes our medicine. Like that is the literal mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 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 there's so many factors about nature that really because we are even though we don't think we are anymore we're very much a part of nature and the cycle of life Mm -hmm. and so and there's so many pieces to that in helping you just to calm down you know and I just think that we've also come we've we've gotten far removed from um and we had talked with uh when Ryan and I talked with Stephen Dawn and he's a, he's a trainer and he does a lot of functional training. And we talked about this whole idea of 
we've gotten so far away from necessity living that we are not doing activities in our daily life a lot that that require require necessity right like getting water mm-hmm. the chopping wood carrying water thing and how that right. has affected our nervous systems and our gut um, in the way not only that we move but in the way we communicate, in the way that um, our bodies feel, and mm-hmm. um, that there is some element, uh, you know, uh, carry, you know, chopping wood and carrying water, there is an element of nature involved that we've kind of, you know, separated ourselves from. Absolutely, um, yeah. it's hard to be. It's hard to be in nature when we're sitting on our butts at a desk for ten hours a day. Yeah, and you then know? you come home, you sit in your car, and then you sit on a couch and then you watch TV and. <laughs> I mean, we're all, we're all guilty of that. And, uh, like right now, you know, Ryan, I don't know where he is. He's somewhere in the backcountry hiking, probably, (laughs) you know, 6,000 feet up a mountain and enjoying it. And it's probably sleeting snow is my guess, but, uh, you know, he comes back rejuvenated and happy to go at it, you know, to, to get back at life. And, and, uh, I can tell that I'm not, (laughs) I'm like, Mm -hmm. what are you so happy about? You have no reason to be happy, you know, and he has no reason to be happy. He just walked back into like the lion's lair, like you said. Yeah. Because right? I've been with the kids for two weeks or a week. Um, right. And he's like, why aren't you just chill out and stuff? So I can see in him that he's gotten that. And when he doesn't get it, yeah. you know, like he's, I just say, leave, go, go to the river. You and Paley yeah. go mushroom hunting, you know, or we yeah. all yeah. go mushroom hunting together, which is, 15 minutes from our house and we're in the moss cover, you know, you know, the forest out yeah, here, the moss covered trees and the ferns. And we're out there climbing over tree trunks in the dark half the time. And we're finding little nuggets of chanterelles. And, and just that hour in the woods is changes our whole evening. So that's awesome. And then we eat the food that we gathered yes. again, right? The whole piece yes. of, hunting and gathering is like eating what you've uh, what you've uh, harvested so yes your gut probably works better with that too right like I would say so yeah. you know and this isn't just like a you know kumbaya like let's all like go for a walk there's actually a lot of like hard science that suggests that being in nature helps your body balance that fight or flight and rest and digest branch of the nervous system and also reduces cortisol which is a major stress hormone mm-hmm. um there is a concept in Japanese culture called shirin yoku, which is called forest bathing. Um, mm-hmm. I talk a lot about this, like on my blogs, because I just love it. But doesn't that just sound so nice? Like, yeah, forest, like just to breathe that air. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I I agree. Where I grew up in Montana, we had forests, but you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, we have like rainforests. So you actually yes. most days when you go hiking, you feel like you're bathing in the forest. It's either <laughs> yeah. soaking wet, you're soaking wet, but it's very, uh, you know, it's just very cleansing. It feels really good. So, yeah. um, okay, well, wow, I think we have talked about a ton of stuff today. Tell us, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you three questions that we ask all our guests to finish the podcast, but. I want you to tell me how people can get a hold of you, like your Instagram feed. And, um, oh, yes, she is an author. She had mentioned that. Natural Solutions for Digestive Health. Uh, you can pick up her book on Amazon or mm-hmm. any bookstores. bookstores. Yeah. And I wanted to say one thing. So I've cooked a couple of recipes. So she has recipes in her book. 
And uh, I like the kicky, kicky steak salad because I love horseradish. Mm, me too. Um, so we've done that. We've used, you know, we don't get to eat beef in our house, but we have like <laughs> elk or deer. <laughs> and it's really good. Um, but I was looking at these, these ones. I haven't made them. The mango meatloaf muffins. So good. And it looks like they have mango chutney in them and then ground turkey oats and then all these vegetables and spices and you put them in a muffin tin and you cook them like a muffin wow mm-hmm. this looks excellent i'm gonna have to make this i just Quick. bought some mango actually i'll make some mango chutney and i'll have to make that but i thought oh, that cool. was really interesting so yeah your book has some awesome recipes as well and it talks about this gut restoration program that yes. um, you talked about so definitely get her book tell us what how else they can get a hold of you Yes. All right. So my blog is fixyourdigestion.com. Mm-hmm. And on my blog, you can sign up for my newsletter if you'd like. I always do a weekly newsletter with little tips and sort of mindset ramblings. And you kind of get like a look into my life. And then on social media, I also have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash fixyourdigestion. And then in terms of the other social media outlets like Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, I am simply at Jillian Tita. Cool. So I will, we will have all this in the show notes for you so you can get anything, any information you want from Jillian. She is super active on social media. She is my social media idol. I strive. <laughs> I strive to be like her. Oh my gosh. She is actually the one who uh, I will tell all of you truthfully. She is the one that really told Ryan and I, we need to get in or Ryan needed to get into the social media (laughs) sphere. I made him do it, but Jillian, Jillian was like, geez, he's, yeah, he needs to do this. And so (laughs) she is a, she's a social media, um, she's a social media whiz and she's our idol with that. So we're, we're still learning, but um, look her up on social media. So, okay. Three questions. These are a little more personal. So maybe a little bit more about you and not necessarily, they can be about your digestion, I guess, if you want, but (laughs) (laughs) you are your digestion. So there we go. Yeah. Um, the first question is, what is your superpower? What are you really good at? Ooh, I love this one because we talk yeah. about our superpowers. We so my do. superpower, my superpower is I'm a good listener. Mm, you are a good listener. I would agree with that. Okay, well that was easy. Okay, so number two is, what is your greatest weakness or something you want to work on? So my greatest weakness is essentially the the shadow of my superpower, which is I am sometimes unduly influenced by the emotions of others. Okay. You know, I get so. that sort of, you know, I get that empathetic heart thing going on where I'll ruminate and those types of things. So it's the same thing. It's just looking at it from a different perspective. Right, right. So again, with uh, people who are taking care of others, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your boundaries are a little, you, you have a harder time with your emotional boundaries with other people. Right. And Sometimes. it's hard being a physician. You hear so much stuff that, you know, patients share with you because they probably don't, sh- there's a lot of things they share with you. They may not share with anybody in your lives and you hear sometimes their stories and what they've been through and boy, you know, it's really hard sometimes to completely separate yourself from that, especially like you and I as naturopaths, you know, we're spending quite a bit of time with our patients. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not spending 15 minutes 
we're, we're spending an hour, sometimes yep. an hour and a half the first time. We're spending a lot of time with people. So yep. um, that's a big one. Okay. So the last one is, uh, what are you most grateful for in your life? Oh, there's so much to be grateful for. <sighs> I'm grateful that I get to live it. Yeah. Wow, well, you can interpret that a million ways. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful that I get to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, those are the three questions. And I feel, uh, I think a lot of people having the same answers. I think that we all, especially as empaths, a lot of us are empaths. And uh, this may be a hunting show or whatever we're talking about here (laughs) finding that even the guys that I'm in we're interviewing are empaths and so it's awesome to see we love your motivation Ryan and I love you and what you stand for and all the information that you gave us today I think people are going to walk away with a ton of valuable information that they can use right now and that's what we wanted to do so um, I appreciate you being here and sharing with us and we'll probably have you on again, <laughs> as well as probably you and your husband at some point. Keone, yes. Dr. Keone, he is, holy cow, you think Jillian's a wealth of information? He, he will definitely <laughs> blow your head off. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. So, um, okay. Any parting words or? No, just no. thank you so much again for this opportunity. And I, I love what you said. I really do think we're all the same. We yeah. are all one human family with one mind, one heart. Awesome. Okay, sweetie, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Hill. Yep, bye-bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Any comments, ideas, suggestions, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at lampers at stahealthyhunter.com. That's S-T-H. Or go to our website at huntharvesthealth.com also follow us on instagram at stealthy hunter or at doc hillary feel free to message me as well through instagram as uh, i do really enjoy answering any questions related to gear hunting uh, food or you name it tag your photos as well if you'd like at hunt harvest health or get stealthy as we'd love to see what you guys are up to thanks see you next time